Welcome to the Unstoppable CEO Podcast with Steve Gordon. Welcome to the Unstoppable CEO Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Gordon, and in today's episode, I'm really excited. I'm finally talking with June Jewell. I've known June for several years now, and actually, I was a client of hers. Uh, I don't even think she knew it at the time, but uh, I was a client of hers in my engineering business. And uh, June is a real expert at helping professionals find where the leaks are. And she specializes in the AEC industry. Uh, she's run two businesses. She's consulted with hundreds, maybe thousands of, of uh, architecture and engineering firms over the years. And she's the author of Find the Lost Dollars, Six Steps to Increase Profits in Architecture, Engineering, and Environmental Firms. And um, June, I'm really excited to have you here. Uh, it's, it's been far too long. Uh, that we've been doing this podcast without having you. So welcome and uh, and great to great to see you. Thank you so much, Steve. I'm honored to be on here. I've listened to many of your podcasts and they're they're amazing. Oh, thank you, thank you. Well, glad you're here. And uh, before we really dive in, um, I'd love it if you'd give everybody who's listening a little bit of background on um, kind of how you got started and how you got to this point in your business. Well, I started my first business in 1990. Um, it was a terrible recession at the time, and I ended up getting fired from my job in a public accounting firm. I was in charge of their um, information systems consulting department, and uh, they weren't, I guess, making enough money doing that. So uh, I was l- let out into the world. And uh, I really enjoyed helping companies uh, find and implement um, accounting systems, Uh, mostly accounting at that time. It kind of grew into a lot of other types of systems, but uh, started out helping mostly engineers at the time find accounting systems. And I started working with some architects as well and really liked working in the architecture engineering industry. Um, as you know, there are a lot of architects and engineers in North America. So um, started working with firms of all sizes, started my own business. It was, it was, you know, bootstrapping at the very beginning, just me, myself and I for about six years until I started hiring people. Well, and that's how we, we uh, kind of first came across one another, although we didn't actually, you and I didn't meet at that time, but uh, we were a client of yours. We we used an accounting system in my first business um, called Deltec, uh, or actually Win2 that was then bought by Deltec. And uh, for those who don't, who aren't familiar with engineering, I mean, one of the biggest uh, challenges in that kind of business because you're selling time um, and you're you're doing it um, oftentimes on government contracts where you've got to follow certain accounting procedures. Um, you know, the, these large accounting systems are... Uh, are essential once you get anywhere close to the, the million dollar a year mark in revenue. Um, and they are a pain in the backside to implement, which is why you had such a thriving business. And we turned to you guys to, to solve that for us. So, um, but you sold that business. You've gone on now and, 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 uh, you work with, uh, firms really on helping them increase profits. I, w- I would think would probably be the best way to, to uh, describe it. Um, and I want to get to, to learning more about that because I think it'll apply to everybody li- who's listening, whether they ha- are in engineering, architecture, or environmental consulting, or in any type of professional service business. But before we get there, I really want to know, I mean, you've been playing this game for a long time. What are some of the things that you do to kind of stay unstoppable, you know, kind of push through those 
tough times, those challenges when they come up? Well, everyone knows that you're not always unstoppable 24 hours a day. So um, you just have to, I think, be unstoppable most of the time um, in order to be successful. And uh, I think it's that I'm kind of a visionary person. I see a lot of big picture. And I really get excited about opportunities. So I read a lot and I talk to a lot of other entrepreneurs. And I think that helps me stay focused on being better and uh, learning, continuing to learn, continuing to stay up with what's going on in technology and business. I think that's really, really important. Um, I have a whole view of that actually in my personal life as well. As you get older, I think it's really, really important to stay uh, up with what's going on and stay up with business um, and with technology uh, and just looking for opportunities. Um, even in a bad economy, even when things aren't going well, there's opportunities and being able to take advantage of those opportunities is critical, I think. Yeah, you know, I, I see, um, well, and you know this from from the AEC world. I mean, that that industry got hammered between 2008 and, and 2010 and really is just now beginning to emerge from what will turn out to be a decade long uh, recession for that industry. And um, and I've got a lot of friends who who stayed there and didn't have the vision to see what other opportunities there were. Um, you know, the ones that survived pivoted to to what was left. Uh, but but I also have a number of friends who were in that industry and um, and realized that that the opportunity was was gone there and, and they looked beyond that. I think that's one of the being open to that is one of the best ways, you know, to to press on because stuff's going to happen. I mean, that's just the way of the world. Right. Um, you got to be looking around for how things are changing and where you can fit in. So I, I think that's fantastic. Um, and, and I know over the years you've done that. I mean, you, you've built a very successful, uh, consulting firm, um, and, you know, and then moved on. What was it that, that made you think now is the time for me to move on and start over? Because that's not an easy decision. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, I, as you mentioned, I was a partner for Wintu software for 15 years and, um, Dell Tech purchased them in 2005. So I started with them in 1990 when I went out on my own uh, for 15 years, was very successful as a partner for them. But in 2005, when Dell Tech purchased the company, I realized that um, the people who had built that company were walking away with millions of dollars and I had helped them build it and got nothing. And I realized that um, longer term, that wasn't okay. You know, if you're going to spend your life building something, uh, you need to have an exit strategy. And, and that exit strategy needs to include having some value in your company and being able to walk away with uh, what um, equivalent of what it's worth and, and what you've put into it. And so I started changing my mindset um, towards building something of value. And over the following um, 10 years, was able to uh, build my business uh, up to $5 million with uh, half of that being recurring revenue. And having recurring revenue is what really gives your company value. You really can't sell a business practice that's built on constantly having to chase new work every week. 
um, you know, and, and your clients that are CPAs and financial service companies, they have recurring revenue. They have clients that come back every year for their taxes and audit. Um, other types of businesses have companies that have recurring revenue or subscription models. And that's really where the world is going these days. If you want to have a valuable business, you have to have recurring revenue if you want to be able to sell it someday. Well, and if you look back in, in history at, at all of the most valuable businesses, they all have that built in in one way or another. I mean, and you can look across industries. So if you look at, at consumer products and, you know, the, probably the most profitable over a long period of time is Procter & Gamble. Well, what happens with all of their products? You know, they end up going down the drain somewhere, right? In your shower, in your sink, you know, somewhere it's going away and you got to buy it again and, and replenish it. So even though you're not on maybe auto bill subscription, you've got to come back. And um, I, we certainly had that in my, you know, I was talking with somebody yesterday um, about um, my first business in in uh, engineering and surveying. And our recurring revenue there was just with clients that needed that service that only we could do for. I mean, there, we had competitors, but but they weren't going to do it themselves. And, um, and they came back month after month after month for, you know, 20, 25 years. So, um, and it made for a really stable, really healthy, um, and, and very profitable business for 25 years. Um, and, and I see that, you know, the, when I look at our clients now that struggle, they're missing it. You know, they don't have that piece. So it's like every day you wake up and, and you got to create revenue. That's a hard game to play. It is hard. Very, very difficult. I'm actually struggling with it now in my new business, trying to find the business model that works. So it's not easy. No, it's it's not. And and I think that's one of the most challenging things that um, that you have to do at the beginning of a business um, is is find where is that that key within what you're delivering. You know, um, we've gone through that in in uh, our current business. It's like you know, there are different ways you can deliver the same thing, but you got to link it up with what's valuable and what's going to be valuable again and again and again, and what's not going to change. I, I, um, uh, I, I read a quote somewhere from Jeff Bezos of Amazon, and I'll, I'll probably mutilate the quote, but the essence of it is, you know, he was asked, like, where's technology going to be in 10 years? And he's like, I don't have any idea. I don't even spend any time thinking about it. I'm solely focused on a couple of things that I know aren't going to change. And like this is Amazon. They're probably the largest technology company in the world right now um, with all of the different things that they do. He said, I don't I don't focus on that. I don't care where technology is going. I focus on the stuff that's not going to change. I know customers are always going to want a really wide selection of products. They're always going to want them conveniently and fast. And they're always going to want them at a reasonable price. Like if I focus on yep. that, I mean, the technology will take care of itself. And, um, and I think for all of us, as we're trying to find that business model, if we can boil it down to those few things that are not changing, it, it, it becomes easier. I don't know if you found that if, or, 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 you know, how it's, how you've experienced it between building your two businesses. But, uh, but for me, that's now the focus. Yeah, I agree completely. And if you think about Amazon, they also have a whole other side of their business on the business side, the Amazon Web Services, where they make a lot of recurring revenue. Oh, absolutely. 
And if you look at what they're doing there, it's, it's again, it's all focused around the things that probably aren't changing very much. A lot around storage and a lot around distribution of information and a lot around computing power. Well, the, the specifics of all of that probably change a lot. But the fact that those things are needed isn't going to change. Uh, and, and so that probably puts them in a really good position long term on that side of the business as well. Um, and uh, I think these are key ideas. So for everybody listening, I mean, if you can break down in your own business, what are the things that you do for clients that are unchanging? You begin to position yourself, I think, in, in a really strong way going forward. Sure. So um, we're going to be right back. I know I, I want to take this conversation um, deeper, June, but, but let's take a quick break. We're going to be right back with more from June Jewel. Hi, this is Steve. I hope you're enjoying this interview. We've got more to come in a minute, but what I'd love for you to do right now is rate this podcast. Leave us a review, rate us on iTunes. It'll really help others discover the podcast and help us help other CEOs, other business leaders become unstoppable. So if you go to unstoppableceo.net forward slash iTunes, you can find instructions there and links that will take you right to where you need to go to review the podcast. Thanks so much. Now back to the interview. All right. Welcome back. We're here talking with June Jewell. June, um, you're doing an awful lot these days with uh, helping your clients increase their profitability. And I'd love to find what you're working on now and what's got you really fired up about business. Sure. Well, it, a lot of what I'm doing or pretty much everything I'm doing right now is revolving around the book that I wrote and published in 2013, Find the Lost Dollars. And the book basically outlines how to how your an A and E firm would be losing money in nine areas of their business and and what they should be doing to get that money back. And uh, I I realized that I was much more passionate about that than what I was doing before and was able to sell my business so that I could focus on it 100% of the time. And so I spent about a year uh, first of all talking to clients um, and I actually. Um, I got this hold of this book called the Owner's Startup Manual, and it's a great book written by a bunch of guys out of Berkeley um, that outlines how to use the lean startup method um, in, in a company if you want to start up a new company. So I use the lean startup method, which basically requires you to get out of, out of your, they, you know, get out of the building, they call it. And start talking to your customers face to face. So I did that. I spent some time with all my old clients because I was staying in the same industry. I just wanted to offer them something completely different, which was a way to take their business to a new level. Um, and I believe that the way to do that was to transform their behavior of their employees. If you think about uh, when, when you want to do something important or big, like losing weight, for example, uh, we all know how to do it, uh, and we all know that we have to you know, eat less or eat healthier and and exercise, but whether we do it or not is a whole different thing, and what I found in most of our clients' companies is they didn't really know what their employees were doing. Um, some of their employees were following the best practices and others weren't. Some of them were using their systems and others weren't. Some of them were behaving in a way that would optimize profitability, and many of them weren't. And so the key there for me was to, number one, give them a really good baseline of what 
what was really going on in the company so that they could acknowledge where they were starting from and then get their employees to not only know what needed to be done, but actually do it. And uh, so I got out into the out in the field, talked to clients, charted understanding what their challenges were. Uh, there were many challenges around holding people accountable. Um, engineers, as, as in general, as a group, architects and engineers, they don't like conflict. Uh, they avoid conflict, whether it's with their employees or their clients. And so that in itself causes them to. Um, tend to, to not address issues always that are existing in, in a way that's um, going to be successful. So uh, out of all of that, I decided to develop an online training platform and spent about nine months. I developed a pilot program and was able to get about 10 firms involved. And in that process, had my clients giving me regular feedback on how they felt about the training program as it was being developed and giving me really great input um, about it. And I hired an instructional designer to help me because I didn't know a lot about training, online training platforms. And 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 we ended up customizing a, a pretty high level, uh, what's level four and five training program. Basically what level four and five means is it's very interactive and uses the latest technology, um, animation, games, exercises, um, and all of the, the different kinds of learning styles to help people learn. Um, and then, you know, we just started implementing that in the early days, a couple years ago is when we launched it out into uh, the, the real world and started getting new clients slowly. And as I started working with those clients, discovering what was really going to work to help them transform their organization. So as you're working with an organization and you're focused on on the behavior of of their team, what are some of the kind of key leverage points that you find when you go in are are maybe the first places to look to to boost that profitability? Well, first of all, we developed an online survey of their employees that analyzes their business in nine different areas and in each of the nine areas gives them scores on people processes, and systems. So they end up with 27 scores. And they actually could end up with many more scores because they have the ability to set up groups like business units, departments, offices, and see scores at that level too. So they could end up with hundreds of scores. And we sit down and after the survey is done, they send this out to their employees. Their employees answer 160 questions. And they get a very, very detailed analysis as well as anonymous comments and suggestions from their employees as what as to what the company could be doing better. So that's where we start. And so they now have this report and this analysis that they can dive in and really, really understand what's going on, what's working and what's not working. Um, and then we um, look at launching the training program over 10 weeks. Um, each week they do one course it's 10 one-hour courses. So each week the employees go off and they do their course on their own time and their own convenience. And then we come together as a group and talk about how the content and best practices they've learned from the training apply back to their company. So what are the challenges they're experiencing with their clients, with their projects, and what's really happening in the company? And we talk about how we can fix those issues. And are, and so there, are there some areas that are sort of common where where you find that that 
you're able to, you know, go in and, and th maybe these few specific things, you know, if, if they can make improvement, they get, you know, a, a quick return from that. Well, the real challenge is that most of the clients I work with end up with about 40 to 60 action items. And uh, then what we do is a wrap-up meeting at the end to start to prioritize them because I recommend you focus on one or two key things at a time. Some of the key things that we find are very common in most firms. One is sales process. Mm -hmm. uh, most of them have very poor or actually non-existent mm -hmm. sales process. Uh, proposal processes, which goes along with sales process. Estimating is always a big issue. We find that they don't have good practices. And if you start with a bad estimate and scope for your project, you're going to end up with a bad project and a, not a very profitable project. And then scope creep is a huge issue in most of these firms. Uh, we also get into lots of other things like timesheets, cash flow, and Client relationships are another really big one, and project management practices. Yeah, and it's interesting because all of those tie together. I mean, the the, the first and and this is uh, you know I'm sure true for other professionals as well, but I I know from having been through it the the first and probably biggest place you can lose money in uh, you know in an AEC type business because it's project based and because you're selling hours is if you get that scope wrong. Uh, or estimate what it's going to take incorrectly, uh, you can lose a tremendous amount of money. And, you know, early in my career, we were doing small projects. You know, fees were in the maybe five figures or low six figures. Later in my career, we we kind of got up and we were doing seven-figure projects. Well, if you're off 10% on a five-figure project, yeah, it hurts. It's aggravating, but it's not going to put you out of business. If you're off 10% on a $2 million project, that that'll cause you some sleepless nights, and um, and and so we we went through and we developed a whole methodology for depending on the size of the project, what level of detail we needed to get to. And uh, had we not had that, and I'm I'm sure this is what you're teaching, uh, you know, a, a lot of your clients. Had we not had that, where no matter who did the estimating, it followed the process. I mean, the just scary how much you could have lost. But even if that's right. You have really well-meaning people that want to deliver really, you know, a, a great experience to clients. And so every time the client asks for a little bit more, it's really hard for them to have that conversation and say, well, yeah, that's great, but it's a little bit more and, and you don't want to nickel and dime clients. But at the same time, you know, you can turn around and in six months, all of a sudden, you know, you've, you've got, you know, 100 man hours, you know, billable hours that you're not getting paid for. So. Um, how do you coach, uh, your clients? How do you train them and to get their people kind of over that hump where they can have the, what, what would really be a difficult conversation sometimes for a lot of them with a client about kind of steering that back? Well, all of the things you're talking about go back to the firm's culture. So it's what their values are. And, uh, the first course is called culture traps and we go through 10 culture traps those include quality is everything. So delivering a higher level quality than what you scoped out in your estimate. Uh, keep the client happy at all costs. No matter what the client asks for, give it to them, even if it's not in the contract. Um, taking projects you know you're going to lose money. That's another one that happens a lot in the industry. Um, 
failure to hold people accountable. There's a lack of accountability for t filling out timesheets correctly, for, for um, spending too many hours on projects. Um, and so we go through these culture traps and we really talk in the course about why it's so important for the company to be profitable. Remember, these are technical people who never had business training. And so this is a business management training course, teaching them how the business runs, why it's so important to do the right things, and what happens to the company if you're not profitable. Uh, the average architecture engineering firm has about an 8 to 10% profit margin. There's no room for error there. And um, very often what they'll do is they'll do an estimate that estimates a 12% profit and they end up with eight. So they end up with losing 4%. And 4%, you know, is a lot of money. It can be a lot of money. On a $10 million company, it's, uh, you know, $400,000 a year. So. Yeah, it, it adds up quickly. And uh, and you're right, there is really no room for error. Um, thankfully, um, you know, when I was in that industry, we we were able to operate at a, a, a significantly higher profit margin. But um, but that isn't an easy thing to do. And and it's certainly not done often. If you look at um, the way most of those businesses are structured, where they're billing by the hour and they're doing it based on sort of industry, you know, standard rates, um, it's a tough game to win. And if you're not on your game in terms of how you're delivering, you're going to end up with frustrated clients and you're going to end up, you know, losing a lot of money. And, and, uh, um, and it doesn't have to be that way. I know a lot of guys who were in the business for, you know, 30 years and, and retired very wealthy on an eight to 10% profit margin, but they ran the business the right way. I'm sure with a lot of the things that, that you're teaching. So, um, I, I know you've got, um, you've got this, uh, this book that is targeted specifically for AEC firms, but I also think having read it that uh, if you're in any kind of service business, it will open your eyes up to some things that that uh, you you can probably do to plug some holes that you have. Um, but for those who are listening who are um, in architecture or engineering and environmental consulting um, or the other industries where you work really closely, what's the best way for them to kind of find out more about how they can boost their profits and how can they get in touch with you? Well, my website is aecbusiness.com and uh, probably reading the book is a good place to start. Uh, I do think the book applies to, um, to all professional services firms. Um, I didn't uh, write it for all professional service firms because I wanted to stay focused on working with architects and engineers. And there's some language and terminology uh, that we refer to in the book, you know, that's very kind of common in that industry, but it really does apply. And I, I actually have a whole chapter on government contracting as well, because uh, that's where a lot of firms, you know, get into government contracts and find that, you know, the government really doesn't want you to make more than six to eight percent. So you really have to manage those projects tightly. Um and, you know, I, I'm happy to talk to anybody who has challenges in the area of financial management and profitability. And and uh, uh, I, I talk to clients every single day all over North America and all different sizes as well. I, I work with 20 person firms and 5000 person firms. So and everything in between. So 
Um, yeah, yeah, it's funny how uh, you, you hit that 15 to 20 person threshold and things get more complex. All of a sudden, it's not just you dealing with the clients. It's uh, you've got other people doing it and, and uh, that's where the leaks can begin. Yeah, and you know, most business owners started their business because they enjoy what they're doing and they wanted the freedom to, you know, run their own show and 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 have more opportunity uh, and freedom in their lives. And uh, sometimes having a business can be, in a way, less freedom because you're you become a slave to your office. So um, at least at the end of the day, if you can maximize your your profitability and your growth and enjoy what you're doing it's that's what makes it all exciting um but not everybody who has a technical background is suited to run a business and they have to take the time and effort to make sure you do know the best practices for running a business yeah absolutely uh well good advice for for uh everyone listening so one last question i know you read a ton um what what's on top of your reading list right now um, I, th this last week I've been reading a book called, um, expert secrets, which is really great. And I, I got some good stuff out of that book. Um, really interesting, um, concepts about how to frame your businesses in a unique way. Um, and then based on one of your podcasts a few weeks ago, I started reading the culture of opportunity. Oh yeah. Great book. Great book. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very check. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So those are the two last books I've been working on. All right, June. Well, it's been great talking with you. Uh, tell us your website one more time where people can find you. AECbusiness.com. Awesome. Well, I'm so happy we got to catch up and uh, we'll talk again real soon. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much, Steve. I enjoyed it.